Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Why do people turn away from Jesus? Why do some people follow Jesus for a season and then they turn away and follow him no more? This morning, we're coming back to our study of John's Gospel, so if you want to open up your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 12. We've entitled this part of our study of John chapter 12, or this part of our study of John, Above All. And just to set the context for you again, remember that John writes his biography of Jesus' life with a purpose. He writes it so that people might see the evidence for who Jesus is and come to believe that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, they might have life in him. And the Gospel of John is divided into two parts. You have chapters 1 to 12, which is called the Book of Signs, and then you have chapters 13 to chapter 21, which is the Book of Glory, which focuses on the last events and crucifixion of Jesus' life. But in the first 12 chapters, the Book of Signs, We have these seven signs recorded for us, these seven miracles of Jesus. Remember, John calls them signs because they are miracles that point to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. And these seven signs culminate in Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And as Pastor Graham pointed out a few weeks ago, this last sign of raising Lazarus from the dead resulted in many people believing in him, but it also resulted in the chief priests and the Pharisees making plans to kill him. But now as we come into John chapter 12, many will turn away from Jesus and they'll become disillusioned and disappointed and follow him no longer. So this morning as we seek to answer the question, why do people turn away from following Jesus? I wanna look at three things. I want to look at the Jesus that we want, the Jesus that we expect, and then I want to look at the Jesus that we need. You see, I think that the reason that many people turn away from following Jesus is because the Jesus that they want and the Jesus that they expect is not the real Jesus. And when they find out the real Jesus and who he is, and he's not the one that they want and he's not the one that they expect, they become disillusioned and disappointed and turn away. But even though Jesus, the real Jesus, might not be the one we want nor the one we expect, he is ultimately the one that we need. And this is good for all of us to look at because at some point in your life, if it hasn't happened yet, it will happen one day. You will face a situation or you will face a circumstance When it seems like Jesus has disappointed you, or didn't come through for you, or didn't answer your prayers, and you'll either turn your back on him, or you will turn to him and understand who he is in a deeper and more rich way. So let's first look at the Jesus that we want. As I said, if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 12, and we're going to be starting at verse 9. In verse 9 of John chapter 12, we read this. When large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came. 
Now, as we learned last week, Jesus had come, as we see in verse 1, to Bethany, six days before the Passover, to the house of Mary and Martha. Bethany is only two kilometers away from Jerusalem. And as we saw last time, Mary had anointed the feet of Jesus in extravagant worship. And so now the Jews learn that Jesus is in Bethany. He's only just two k's away. And so they travel to the house of Mary and Martha. And we are told that they come not only on account of him, that is not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, as you can imagine, the raising of Lazarus from the dead would have attracted some attention. I mean, if someone was legitimately raised from the dead today, it would be headline news. But then we see the response of the chief priests in verse 10. Look in your Bibles. It says, So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So not only were the chief priests going to kill Jesus, but now they were going to kill Paul Lazarus. I mean, Paul Lazarus has just been raised from the dead, and now he's got a death threat hanging over his head again. You know, it's interesting that as we read through the Gospel of John, we see this growing hardness of heart of the Pharisees and the chief priests. As Jesus offers himself to them, and they continually reject him as Messiah, their hardness grows deeper and deeper. And it will sadly reach a climax in this chapter in verse 35, I think is one of the saddest verses. Look in your Bible. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, he'd done so many miracles to give them the evidence of who he was, yet it says they still did not believe in him. And John will go on to quote from Isaiah of how God would confirm them in their hardness so that they could not turn and believe at that point. You know, this reminds me of Pharaoh in the Old Testament, how Moses uh, came again and again to Pharaoh and he said, let God's people go, and he wouldn't let God's people go. And after Pharaoh hardened his heart, there's a change in the text, and it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It seems that if you resist God, that after a while God says, well, I'll give you what you want, and he hardens their heart. But God used the hardness of Pharaoh's heart in order to display his power, his mighty deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And in the same way, God would seal the hardness of the nation of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, but he would use that in order to demonstrate his glory at the cross. But even though this was part of his plan, it's so sad to me to think that these people were given signs. They were given clear evidence, and yet they rejected it. I mean, no one doubted that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. It was a fact. It was undeniable. The chief priests could not doubt it. They, they didn't doubt it. But rather than receiving the sign and believing in Jesus, they rejected him and sought to kill Jesus and also Lazarus. Now, why was this the case? Why did they harden their hearts? Well, it's because of this. The true Jesus was not the Jesus that they wanted. You see, they wanted a Jesus who would agree with them rather than a Jesus who would challenge them. 
They wanted a Jesus who they could control rather than a Jesus that they had to give up control to you, too. And isn't this the reason why many people get disappointed and disillusioned with Jesus? You see, most people are looking for a Jesus who will agree with them, not a Jesus who will challenge them. Most people want a Jesus who they can control rather than a Jesus to whom they have to give up control. And so when Jesus comes and he challenges our understanding of sexuality or our understanding of morality or he challenges our understanding of identity, people walk away. And it's because we want a small Jesus. We want a Jesus who will agree with us, not a Jesus who will challenge us in our cultural assumptions, a Jesus we can control rather than a Jesus who we have to give up control to. And you know, it's so sad, but just like the Pharisees, people reject God even though there is clear evidence of his existence. Now you might ask, what evidence is there that God exists? Well, just as when you look at a painting, when you look at a painting, you recognize there must have been a painter, or just when you look at a building, you recognize there must have been a builder, the Bible says that when you look at creation, you know, that intrinsically we know there must therefore be a creator. I mean, all people know that something can't come from nothing. I mean, I have an iPhone. Who here has an iPhone? I mean, an iPhone didn't come about by random processes. That is obvious. It was designed. And in the same way, as we look out into the intricacies of creation, we recognize if our iPhone was designed, then certainly creation must have been designed by a creator. But many people reject God, and it isn't because of an intellectual reason. It's really an issue of heart. We don't want to actually have someone to tell us what to do. We don't want a God who we have to give up control to. We want a God who we can control. But this is not just true for people in general. I have to confess, this is true for myself. I can see this in myself. Often the Jesus that I want is not the true Jesus. The Jesus that I want is one who will serve my kingdom, one who will bless me, work for me, give me the success that I want. And when Jesus doesn't fulfill what I want, then I become disillusioned and disappointed. But there is only one Jesus, and he is above all. I was reading a book, The Joy of Fearing God, by Jerry Bridges, an excellent book. And he makes the point that discipleship, in essence, is helping people surrender to the lordship of Christ. In other words, it's like Jesus said, it's teaching people to obey everything that he has commanded. And Jerry Bridges makes this very important point. He says, we do not, to use a popular expression, make Jesus lord of our lives. It's not like we make him lord of our lives. Jerry says, he is Lord. He is Lord above all, and we bow, and we acknowledge his authority, and give up control. You see, let's have a gut check this morning. Where in your life over the last six months have you been submitting to the Lordship of Jesus? Where in the last six months has Jesus been challenging you and convicting you and pointing out things in your life that need to change. Because if that hasn't been happening, then maybe you have an imaginary Jesus, one who will always agree with you, one who will always 
always be there for you to control rather than the true Jesus to whom you give up control to. You see, why do people turn away from following Jesus and become disillusioned and disappointed? It's because, let's check our guts, guys. We want a Jesus who will agree with us, a Jesus who we will control, not a Jesus to whom we have to give up control. So we've looked at the Jesus that we want. Now let's look at the Jesus that we expect. We come in verse 12 to what is known as the triumphal entry. And when you study the Gospels, you will see that the triumphal entry is mentioned in all four Gospels by the Gospel writers. So this must be a really significant event if all four Gospel writers said, we've got to include this in our writing. And we come in verse 12. Look down your Bibles in verse 12. We read this. We read, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now remember, it's five days out from the Passover. The Passover was one of the three major feasts in Israel. It celebrated God's miraculous deliverance of his people out of the land of Egypt. And it was one of the three feasts that every male above the age of 18 was commanded to attend. And so the population of Israel would swell with, well, of Jerusalem would swell with pilgrims coming into the city for the feast. So look down in verse 13. We see all these people are coming into the feast and they come, verse 13, and they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet Jesus crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So can you, can you picture the scene? Here are all these people lining the streets with palm branches and they are celebrating and calling out this to Jesus. Now why did they do this? Why did they wave palm branches and cry out in praise of Jesus. Well, palm branches at the time were symbols of victory and triumph. When a king would win a mighty victory, he would come into the city and people would line the streets with palm branches in celebration of his great triumph and victory. Now, the people quote from Psalm 118, a psalm that cries out to God to save his people and liberate them. The word Hosanna literally means, praise the Lord, save us. So you can you see these people are lining the streets. They're calling out to Jesus, please save us. Please liberate us. But what was the liberation that they wanted? Well, for 100 years, they'd been an occupied people. Rome had come in and had occupied Israel. And they had to pay taxes to Rome. There would be Roman guards all throughout the land. And they had to come under Roman rule. And so what these people were expecting is that they were expecting Jesus to come in triumph and political power and kick out the Romans. But it's interesting, many of these same ones who would be heralding him as king, only a few days later, would be crying out, crucify him. Why? Well, look down in verse 14. We read this. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, obviously, this is a fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah, but don't miss the fact that Jesus came riding on a donkey. That's significant. 
You see, what they expected is a king who would come in triumph. A king who would come riding in triumph on a stallion. And what they got was a king who came riding in on a donkey. And not just any donkey, the fold of a donkey. A weak donkey. You see, what they were expecting was a triumphal Jesus riding in on a stallion who would establish his kingdom through displays of political power. But the real Jesus came in weakness and established his kingdom through a cross. And therefore, they were disillusioned and disappointed with Jesus to such a degree that a few days later, they cried out, crucify him. And isn't this why we get disillusioned and disappointed with Jesus? Because we want a Jesus who will bring triumph into our lives, who will make us healthy and wealthy and wise, and a Jesus who will never allow us to suffer or experience loss. But the true Jesus, not the Jesus of our imagination, the true Jesus, the real Jesus, he establishes his kingdom through a cross. You see, Jesus has an upside-down kingdom. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest of all, you must be the servant of all. If you want to be first, you need to be. If you want to be rich in the kingdom of God, you've got to be poor. And if you want to save your life, you need to lose your life. And I think that's why many people get disillusioned and disappointed with Jesus. Because they don't have the real Jesus. They have Jesus as a co-pilot. Jesus as someone who can give me commentary and help me to get what I want, but they don't have the real Jesus. You know, most of us in this room would be absolutely horrified by the prosperity gospel. You know, what the, you know the guys who come on three o'clock in the morning who promise you if you send in money, they're going to give you, you know, prayer cloths and you're going to get mansions and cars and riches. Most of us would think that's ridiculous. And yet, while we would scoff at the crass prosperity gospel, we can often fall prey to a sophisticated, implicit prosperity gospel, where if we turn up and do the right things and volunteer our time and serve in the church, then God, certainly, God should bless us and give us the awesome life. Um, you see, the belief is, is that if we do the stuff of Christianity, if we read our Bibles, help the poor, worship passionately, move the sound equipment without complaining, then we'll get a slice of the awesome Christian life. You see, if in the explicit prosperity gospel, it's unthinkable that God with, withhold from his followers cash, cars, and mansions, in the implicit prosperity gospel of many, we can't imagine that God would like give us a life of singleness, or that God would give us a life of suffering, or that God would ever call us to give up our creature comforts. Mark Sayers, in his book, The Disappearing Church, he writes, you see, we do not recognize the way in which the implicit prosperity gospel affects us until our unspoken expectations are not meant. Then the true extent of our belief is revealed. We understand that God would ask people in the two-thirds world to give up things, to sacrifice, but our hidden heresy under the surface is our belief that Jesus wouldn't ask Western people to deny themselves take up their cross, and follow him. You see, at the end of the day, I need to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, what do we want from Jesus? At the end of the day, do we just want Jesus to give us success in our careers, success in our families, success in our life? 
There's nothing wrong with these things. But when the true Jesus shows up and he says, I want you to follow me through pain. I want you to follow me through suffering. I want you to follow me through cancer. I want you to follow me through disappointment. This is not what we were expecting. We were expecting a coronation. We weren't expecting a cross. But once again, that's not the real Jesus. The real Jesus didn't come riding in on a war horse in triumph. The real Jesus came riding on a donkey and went to the cross. And he says to you, disciple of Jesus, come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. So why do people turn away and get disappointed and disillusioned with Jesus? Well, it's because the Jesus we want is one who will always agree with us and who we can control rather than the one whom we have to give up control to. And it's because the Jesus that we expect is the one who will lead us in triumph and always give us what we want in life. Now, at this point in the message, I'm looking at your faces and I'm thinking, this might be very depressing. <laughs> I'm looking at you and you're like, all oh, pretty heavy. It's a pretty heavy sort of message. But there is good news, my friends. Even though the Jesus that is, the true Jesus, may not be the Jesus that we want and he may not be the Jesus that we expect, he is definitely the Jesus that we need. Definitely the Jesus that we need. You see, our biggest problem with Jesus is that we don't know what he's offering and therefore we don't know what we need. You see, the true Jesus, the Jesus that we are given is the Jesus riding on a donkey who doesn't save us through force, but he saves us through suffering, through weakness. He didn't come in his first coming on a throne to take a throne of power. He came to a cross he left the throne of power and he went to the cross in weakness. And so he didn't come just to make your life a little bit better. No, he went to the cross to deliver you from sin and death. You see, our greatest need is not just to have our lives improved in the here and now, but it's to be saved from sin and the punishment of sin, which is death. You see, at the time of Jesus, these people's greatest need was not just political freedom, but the greatest need of the Pharisees, the greatest need of the people who were cheering that day as they were crowning Jesus and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Their greatest need was to be saved from their sin and saved from death. And make no mistake, though Jesus came in his first coming riding on a donkey into Jerusalem at the end of the story of the Bible, he comes riding on a white horse in triumph and victory. And everyone will stand before him as the righteous judge. And at that moment in human history, you want to make sure you've bowed before him and you've crowned him as king of your life. See, if right now you are looking to Jesus just to be your consultant or your friend or your sidekick, it means you're really asking Jesus to be someone who you can control, someone who can help you in your goals. But the Jesus that we're given is the Jesus on a donkey who comes in weakness. And if Jesus provided salvation 
in weakness, then the way that we receive salvation is through weakness. It's actually by bowing down low, admitting that we're sinners, and surrendering to him. And the way to continue the Christian life is through weakness. It's through even though we might go through pain and suffering in this life, it's by accepting it and trusting that God will bring a resurrection in our lives. Maybe not in this life, but definitely in the next life. So will you come face to face with the real Jesus this morning? Will you give up the imaginary Jesuses that you have created in your own mind and come face to face with the Jesus of the Bible? He may not be the one that you want and he may not be the one that you expect, but he's definitely the one that you need. You need to be saved from your sin and saved from the punishment of sin, which is death. Patrick Deneen, in his book, Why Liberalism Failed, has this interesting thesis. He states that older societies used to say that the meaning of life was found in sacrificing your happiness for the greater good of your community or your family or your nation. And so to be free in these societies meant to be free from selfishness, free from self-centeredness. But Deneen points out that in the last 50 years, the script has changed. Today, meaning in life is not found, people say, in sacrificing your happiness, but is found in pursuing your happiness. And the way to do that is to cast off the claims that society, that your culture, that your nation has placed on you. Uh, take, for example, the movie Frozen. Elsa, the main character, in one apocalyptic moment determines that she is going to let it go. Her whole life, she's been playing the part that her parents wanted her to play, suppressing her authentic self. She's tried to be the good girl that everyone wants her to be, but then she decides to let it go and to cast off the claims of her family and her society and be her authentic self. So Deneen says that now we live in a society where we don't sacrifice for the greater good of others. We are told that to be an individual means we pursue individual happiness, our true selves, and therefore we are pursuing that agenda. But the irony is, is that this is not leading us to a more happier society, it's just leading us to become more lonelier and more angry. You see, if it's all about us, then other people are just either obstacles that get in the way of my happiness, or they're objects for me to use for my happiness. And we end up getting more angrier because people are always getting in the way of our happiness. Yesterday I was driving through the supermarket and as I was driving, um, there was this cart like this that was there and, um, and so I was driving out of the supermarket car park and there was this cart there so I just edged over a bit and this lady was coming the other way. Now there was still space for her to get through but because I'd edged closer to her, she was giving me verbal encouragement. I could see it. She was, she was blessing me, getting quite angry at me. And the reason for that was that I had got in her way, in the way of her happiness. And this is what happens all the time. We get so angry and so lonely. But here is where the, knowing the true Jesus is good news. You see, true happiness is not found in being your authentic self. True happiness is found in dying to self. And the true Jesus, he died in weakness for your sin 
so that you might know him. I wonder this morning, as I look out at you, are there people here and you've become disappointed and disillusioned with Jesus? Because maybe life isn't working out the way that you expected and you're not getting what you thought that you wanted. I would just urge you to turn to Jesus, the real Jesus. Because you will, if you turn to him, you'll get to know him more deeply than ever. This one who was crucified in weakness, but who was raised in power, and his story will become your story. You might actually go through terrible things, but you await a glorious resurrection like Jesus. So, everyone, I want us all to come face to face with the real Jesus today. Where is he urging you to give up control of your life? Have you subtly, subtly started to believe in an imaginary Jesus, not the true Jesus? Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for your word that reveals to us the true Jesus who went to the cross in weakness to save us from sin and death so that we could know you, God. And I pray for people who might be experiencing disappointment and disillusionment today because things aren't going as they had hoped and they had planned in their life. But Lord, help them to take up their cross and follow the real Jesus. Trusting that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, there will be a resurrection, maybe in this life, but definitely in the next life. Oh Lord God, we just worship King Jesus and honor King Jesus and praise King Jesus. We thank you that he didn't come on a stallion the first time, but he came on a donkey. How beautiful is our Lord and Savior. The very people who mocked him and who crucified him were the very people he was giving his life for. And we just thank you for this great love that we see in our Lord Jesus. How awesome he is.